Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying kick it my way. I want to jump over the pack and here he comes. Ryan! This is Buddy Franklin! This is the greatest showman! Got the handball off to Myers. Myers looking for the lead of Stengel. Gee, they're good. Gee, they're sharp. Randall Gazzarioli. Oh, who else? McDonald. Timberwolf. From inside the centre square. tell this but we're recording back-to-back episodes welcome to episode 103 of americans watching the footy recorded well not that long after 102 if you haven't listened to our progress reports yet for the teams on buys you ought to do that because yes teams exist even when they don't play benjamin castle here alongside my brother ethan and uh now we will talk about teams that are playing in this the round 12 preview Yes, but first we do have news, everyone. With the midseason draft happening as this episode gets recorded, considering how long these recordings tend to run, we have had the last few players be moved to the inactive list ahead of that. Jai Cully for West Coast, Mitch Georgiatis for Port. Those were expected. Patty McCartan for Sydney is a bit of a surprise, I guess, given that he hadn't been ruled out for the season yet, whereas the others had. I did kind of expect that, though. Yeah, no update on Tom McCartan's timeline, by the way. Uh, There's been a little bit of... At Carlton, uh, there was an argument, I guess, in Sydney after their game between a board member named Craig Matheson and their president, Luke Sayers. Matheson quit. There's been a lot of talk about, like, you know, do these board people actually know anything about football and stuff? There's been some back and forth there. Matheson had been on the board for 11 years, and Carlton fans online seem to be approaching this as a good thing, just getting change in a board of a club that has yet to take the next step on the field, and that bad decisions can trickle down from the top. Um, Former Collingwood president Eddie McGuire, oh, this will be fun, in response to criticism of off-field power brokers, there are a lot of people in football who are dumbasses. Wow, that might also, is that a little reflexive there? I mean, by the way, I have a better perception of Eddie now that Mason Cox said he had a really good relationship with him. Like, Eddie came and visited him when he was in the hospital and couldn't see him stuff. Yeah, and I believe Eddie would host him for Christmas. Yes. Uh, By the way, listen to that Mason Cox 100th game special. It's a good one. Yeah, we'll talk more about that as we get into Collingwood's game. They're, they're on the road this week. Um, Along with... Eddie, uh, Jimmy Bartell said the funny thing about these supposed men in the shadows, they actually know jack shit about football. And Bartell's involved with the leadership of the Giants now. Maybe that's why they know how to play at Cardinia. You know, I wouldn't rule it out. Brownlow medalist ought to know his home ground. Interesting how we see these former Geelong players involved with the New South Wales clubs between him and Tom Harley being the Swan CEO. Who knows? Do cats make good executives? Watch Joel Selwood rise to club president. The Hawthorne review has concluded, and the league has found no adverse findings. That said, Gillen McLaughlin did comment that it doesn't rule out punishment from the league. The AFL general counsel is still going to investigate, and 
There could be punishments handed to Hawthorne, but nothing to any of the people that were enumerated, such as Alistair Clarkson and Chris Fagan. Clarkson is still staying away from the club at this time. Dr. Sonia Hood put out a statement saying that he'd be staying away and also thanking him for not just his compliance, but having the strength to, you know, say, I'm not doing well. I need to step back. And Chris Fagan also released a statement for the first time in, in this whole process. He'd been staying away from the press, but he basically said, I know that I was doing the right thing. This is a cloud that, you know, because of these coaches has been over three clubs heads. So I would say it's kind of free of two of them now. I hope that the things that were laid out in some of the allegations didn't happen because they sounded really, really bad. But obviously there are some people that are still hurt by this. And I think something had to have happened for this to have been brought up. There's no way everything in it was fabricated. Uh, The families involved could still turn to the Human Rights Commission, which is like a body within the Australian government, I believe. Yeah, each country has their own Human Rights Commission or some just don't give a shit about human rights. They were, this episode's banned in China already, isn't it? Uh, now that you said that, it certainly is. And I don't imagine you'll be able to hear it in Gaza either. Probably not. I mean, I wouldn't try. Not a great place to be. Uh, probably not going to be able to listen to this one in Iran either. Venezuela. We'll see how much they regulate things. Or to be able to censor much, I think. Oh, Brunei. Brunei didn't sound anything negative about Brunei. Yeah, but they seem to be pretty high on censorship there. Oh, here's a way to get censored in Brunei. The Swans' next game, even though they have the buy now, their next game will be their pride round. There we go. There it is. Yep, yep. Definitely not going to be listening to this one in Brunei. Sorry, not sorry, Sultan. It would be really funny if we found out that the Sultan of Brunei just randomly listens to our podcast. I feel like we have to have somewhere out there one surprisingly, like, high up listener, whether it's someone who's high up in the footy world or just like high up in general. It would be funny if like, like, I don't know, Jake Gyllenhaal listened. I mean, he has good taste and stuff. He likes Sean Paul. Some people have said that when I've got a bit more of a beard, I look like Jake Gyllenhaal. No, you don't. I don't really see it either. But yeah, he is a huge Sean Paul fan, and that's good. That means he has good taste in music because Sean Paul is fucking awesome. Looking at the audience stuff here, Apparently, we've had people listening from Hungary and Vietnam. Like This is like less than 1%, but apparently it's there. And Micronesia. I'm going to assume that most of these are just like Australians on vacation, but who knows? Who knows? I mean, some of it could be VPN stuff as well. I have no idea. If a VPN wants to sponsor us, I know VPNs, their main thing is sponsoring YouTube, but hey, maybe you'd get a chance to uh, come sponsor us too. As for games that are being played this week, they're all being played in Australia. It would be really funny. Like, I think the most shameless case of selling a game ever would have to be like Port Adelaide's Port Adelaide's and killed us selling the games to Shanghai. No, if a team sold a game to Brunei, that would be by far the best. I mean, could you call it shameful that the NRL is opening next season in Las Vegas? No, I mean, anything affiliated with the Raiders is stupid, but they don't even own the stadium because Mark Davis is poor. Uh, we just, I want footy in the U.S., so maybe they take this as motivation. You know, they took other things like Gather around. what's inspired by NRL. Yeah, um, how about we get that 15,000-seat cricket stadium happening in San Jose? That would help. Friday Night Footy this week is Melbourne and Carton at the G. 
7.50 p.m. local time as normal, so for American audiences, 5.50 a.m. Eastern, 2.50 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports 2. D's enter in fourth at 7-4 and four after losing to the Dockers. Blues at 4-6-1 and one in 13th after losing at Sydney last Friday night. Holy cow, the Blues are in 13th. And that's back-to-back losses for the D's now. Yeah, they're no human. shame in either loss, but... It means they haven't rounded into form yet, which might not be the worst thing. You know, if you're at your peak at round 11, then you're what the Demons were last year. Okay, well, also, remember who they're missing still. Clayton Oliver's got the hamstring injury, and he's been ruled out for this week. He has not been ruled out yet for the King's birthday match, though. You know what I would do if I was the Demons? You'd do a Chris Scott thing where he's a late in for King's birthday? Uh, not quite. What I would do is trying to get him back in there for King's birthday. You know, it's a prestigious game. Then you have the bye, and then I think maybe give him another week off after the bye, especially consider you're playing on a Thursday out of the bye. Save him for Alice Springs. I really don't need him to play around 15. Uh, I don't think that he'd be needed against... Oh, yeah. Nah, you wouldn't want that. No, I would not. I mean, we'll see if that game does go ahead in Alice. I think it will at this time, but I, I don't want him to play around 15. Yeah, um, also Lockie Hunter was suspended last week, and was that another dump tackle suspension? No, that was a bump on Connor Rosie. Ah, okay. But he'll be available, he'll be patrolling the way again, so that'll put Agus Brayshaw back in a more normal spot, and I've got a feeling it'll be James Harms most likely to make way then. Harms did kick a goal, but has always been one of those guys shuttled between Melbourne and Casey. There's been pressure kept on in the Casey Demons, by the way. They're still figuring out their forward mix at the AFL level, and Josh Shackey had two goals this past week. Can't rule out Ben Brown to come back in at some point and have those ridiculous chariots of fire-like run-ups. And Adam Tomlinson was best on ground despite Casey's defeat to Werribee. And not too often, other than like with Sydney with all their injuries, have we seen a VFL club that doesn't have an AFL affiliation actually beating one, so that's cool Good for Werribee. Yeah, Werribee's in a decent spot right now. The question, of course, is what's Tomlinson able to actually do at the top level because in his appearances these past two years, he has not impressed. I forget which game it was a few weeks ago. I think it was the last one he played in, so a quick AFL tables check would figure this out for me, but I remember it was just like, why the hell is this guy playing? It was in the... Gather round. Oh, yeah. Against Essendon. Oh, yeah. God, he was awful that game. So I wouldn't bring him back in. I think that would also just kind of put you into a Weta Brown situation where it's just like, meh, you know. But they have guys that if you want to rest somebody, you can get someone in. Carlton, they've had their share of issues. Their forwards are a mess. Harry Mackay doesn't know which way he wants to kick ever. And other forwards have largely been quiet outside him and Kerno. I mean, Jesse Motlop can get into games occasionally. And other than that, you haven't had a lot. but. How many outs did they have from round 11 injuries alone, Ethan? Five? Yep, they got five. George Hewitt was subbed off during the game concussed. Then, at three-quarter time, Ollie Hollins and Nick Newman were ruled out. Hollins with a collarbone issue. That's an eight-week timeline for him. He's had surgery. Newman, four to six weeks for his hamstring. And then after the game, we found out that Mark Pittenett and Corey Durden will both spend weeks on the sidelines, too. I was campaigning for Durden to be omitted anyway. Well, he'll be left out for other reasons now. 
I'd imagine that between Pittenden and Dern being out, Jack Silvani is a very easy in. You would probably see him and Tom DeConing combine on rock stuff. Yeah, I know Silvani has been put more into defense as of late in the reserves, but I think you got to have him up in the forward line at this point just to see, will it actually work? Can he provide that tall support? Because I like DeConing still as a versatile player who can really take marks at half forward. I've got a hot take. I know his family is like as Carlton as it gets, but I think the Blues don't know how to deploy Jack Silvani. And I think if he was in another club, he'd really figure out like a stable role, kind of like Will Centerfield has had this year at Essendon. Well, Steven Silvani's the list manager at St. Kilda. Dot, dot, dot. Uh, Patrick Cripps is coming off an ankle injury. He's likely, I get the feeling. He's been under fire for his play. He's had some comments about some media stuff about him, like not traveling back with the team after the game or something. And I get the feeling he's going to come out pissed off for greatness and just go off this week, regardless of how the rest of the team plays. It was allegations about him and maybe another player like staying with their family somewhere else. I think they just stayed an extra day with him, which is not unheard of at all. Yeah, especially after a Friday game. But I would pencil him in for like, a 30 disposal game, like 28 at worst. I feel like he's due. Well, he will have to compete a little bit more for touches with Adam Chera in. Wait, Chera's in? Not woof. Yeah, the Carlton lawyers, the first ones to get a dangerous tackle suspension overturned. Of course it's the Carlton lawyers. Chera was initially suspended for a dangerous tackle of Tom Hickey. He tackled him from behind, and based on the briefing that was given out, it was that Chera had anchored himself with his leg that Hickey ended up tripping over. It was also, you know, tackling a much bigger player. And also he was still a little unbalanced going into it. He'd been pushed. So through all of that, you know, that contributed to him not being ruled to have done as much to make it dangerous. And also he didn't pin the arms much. That's the biggest thing, I think, not pinning the arm. It's commonality with uh, another ruling from recently. More on that one as we go further through these breakdowns. So with five outs, then, who could come back in? Uh, Jackson Bins could debut. He was their number 32 pick last year. Seems to have played really well in the VFL. Uh, Alex Chincotta can get back in. Caleb Marchbank is actually healthy. Lewis Young was a weird omission. Was that a wake-up call? Was it that the Swans didn't have as many tall forwards? So it was a matchup thing. I, I'm still not clear on that. That said, their defense wasn't the issue last week. No, it was the other 50. Uh, Patty Dow hasn't played since the game against the Demons last year. Oh, yeah, that was a fun one. Melbourne won that one with a Kazi Pickett goal with 11 seconds left. Blue hearts broke all across Australia and the world. It was a five-point win for the Ds. In hindsight, like, that was a better ending than the Collingwood game. It was just, that, you know, the Collingwood game, it was round 23 and it was Collingwood, but... Like, I realized, God, I should have appreciated their collapse more at the time last year. Like, I had already started to get a feel for, like, okay, this team's fans, you know, one win, they think they're such hot shit, whatever. But I didn't, like, have that full enjoyment of it like I do now. Uh, other possible inclusions, let's see, Lockie O'Brien, he's been the sub a few times, Zach Fisher, Lockie Fogarty was Lockie Fogarty. He was an emergency last week, and then Ed Kernel was the sub, and he clearly has... He or Charlie, that is, have incriminating photos of Luke Sayers. Or maybe of Michael Voss. I don't know. I Either way, I don't think Ed Kernow is an AFL-level player at this stage of his career. 
but whoever pulls the strings at Carlton does seem to think so. As of now, the D's are favored by 17 and a half, and I could definitely see this margin being a whole lot greater. The D's will win this game, I, I think, in their defensive 50. I think Jake Lever will do enough to disrupt either Mikhail or Kernow. Probably Kernow, because you leave Mikhail alone to Mark, and he'll probably bottle the kick anyway. I don't usually give an exact score prediction, but I'm going to do that this time. I'm going to go Melbourne 80, Carlton 56. 56, how are they going to get there? 8-8? Eight, 8-8, eight? Eight, eight, or it could be 7-14. I, like, I feel like it's going to be 8-8, eight, eight, though. And the 80, 12-8? Nice and neat like that? Sure. I don't know. These teams will be playing in round 22 again this year. That's going to be at the G once again. Carlton hosting at the G a little bit more. And I got a few more games there this year. They seem to be more of a team that's like, like my impression of the way teams get the G, Melbourne gets it for every game that's not Alice Springs. Richmond and Collingwood get it for all games with one or two. Yeah, and then Hawthorne for all their non-Tasmania games, except maybe one or two lately. Yeah, they got the Saints and Marvel this year. In years where they're better, I would imagine they get all of them. And then Carlton, it's about 50-50. And then Essendon gets a couple a year there. And that's about it. Yeah, Norths and Kilda, Bulldogs, they're pretty much always with Marvel. Four games on Saturday, beginning with Port and Hawthorne at the Adelaide Oval. I remember this game last year because of how disappointed I was in Port. I was disappointed in Port, but I was really impressed by the Hawks at the time. They played in round two last year at the Adelaide Oval, a game Hawthorne won by 64, more than doubling up the power. 120 to 56, admittedly. Port did not help their own cause much by kicking 7-14. But uh, fortunes have gone in opposite directions for the team since. I mean, let's remember, that was like the biggest issue in Port's 0-5 start last year, because they also had a really tough schedule to start the season. That was probably the easiest of their games. Oh yeah, and, well, they got smoked. This year they started 1-2. and two. Um, They've won 8 since. They're alone in 2nd. Yeah, meanwhile, the Hawks are 3-8. and eight. They're in 16th off back-to-back -back wins. Last week's win over St. Kilda, much more impressive than the first of those two wins. Yeah, they had to kick the last five goals to win that one, and it was nice that Jacob Kaczynski was the one that got the winning goal. His form had been maligned to start the year. As I've said, for a while, this looked like a team that just didn't know how to finish games, how to win games, and that's a piece of the puzzle that gets them closer to relevance again. So... Big step in the right direction. Did you think of them as being in line for much more than three wins this year? Somewhere in the five to six win range at most, and I think they could certainly get to that still. They have another game against North. Do they play the Eagles a second time? Nope, they can't embarrass them again. All right, I can see them still finding a way to win a couple more games. Who knows? Carlton, rematch with GWS should be fun. Would love for them to have some shenanigans and beat the dogs in Tasmania. It, it's, it's their form, though. But going to the Adelaide Oval is never an easy trip. No, it's not the awesome nighttime port Adelaide atmosphere, but it's still going to port. The Adelaide Oval, where the Brisbane Lions have lost twice this year. And remember, they didn't play there in the... Gather round. This one gets underway at 8.45 p.m. our time Friday night. I'll probably be at college baseball at that time, but I'll catch up on everything. 11.45 uh, p.m. if you're on the East Coast of the United States. Saturday afternoon at 1.45 in Australia's Eastern Time Zone, and locally it'll be a 1.15 bounce. On the injury front for Port Adelaide, 
This is interesting. Tom Jonas is available after being suspended for a game, and yet assistant coach Chad Korn says he's no guarantee to return because the back line was so good last week, which seems um, interesting. I mean, he's literally your captain. Uh, I don't think he's going to be beyond this year. I think it's going to be Ollie Wines. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be the captain for much longer, but that's weird. I mean, maybe you manage him at some point, but not directly after a suspension. This was something that I really found interesting from the the Team Whispers article from Fox Footy that Chad Corns was willing to go on and say. I mean, obviously, you know, good to back in the team after the performance that they had last week. This also could be a game where you manage a couple dudes. Um, so that could make more sense then as to why Jonas doesn't come back in. You know, Charlie Dixon's missed the last three with a quad injury. That said, the, some of the older guys have missed games lately anyway. Dixon, both was a laid out last week with a rib injury. Todd Marshall should be back from his concussion. So I don't think there's much managing to do here. There's a question of, you know, does Lockie Jones find a way to stay in? He, he did a solid job last week. Nothing amazing, but I, I thought he looked like a quality piece. I mean, he looks like a quality piece all the time with that luscious hair of his. And one of the best mustaches in the game, too. Hawthorne have no new injuries. There was concern that Seamus Mitchell might have damaged his knee after a late incident against the Saints, but he's been cleared. Chad Wingard could return from his calf injury, but Chankwath Jath will remain out with his. And then Josh Ward, who was a rising star nominee last year, is also closing in on a return, but likely not this week. I remember even that you'd been calling on Cooper Stevens' inclusion, and he had one of his more productive games with Box Hill this past week, so maybe he'll find his way back in, though I doubt he'll be in front of Ned Long or Finn McGinnis in the pecking order there. Those I know you gotta get him a game at some point. I mean, you brought him in because he was behind a bunch of dudes at Geelong. At the same time, I can see McGinnis as a more logical inclusion this week in a tagging role on Zach Butters. Should also note that Harry Morrison was in emergency last round, and there are a couple debut potentials soon with Bailey McDonald having been a sub and Henry Hustwaite putting up good form in the VFL. They were picks 52 and 37 last year, respectively. But if there's any one in from Box Hill this week, I would say Finn McGinnis. We know as of now that it won't be Ryan Merrick, though, because, I mean, I don't think he was on an AFL contract and also... The Eagles just took him with pick one in the midseason draft, a really obvious first pick. I don't know if anything was as obvious as Jai Coley last year or anyone as talented as Coley, but we'll we'll talk a little about the midseason draft at the end of the episode. Uh, Port favored by 37 and a half. I wouldn't be surprised if they won by more. I feel like after back-to-back games, there's a good chance the Hawks just kind of have a have a dud in them. And I'll say I'd be shocked if Hawthorne won this game. All right, our second game on Saturday is one that has contributed maybe the best grand final of all time. The best final in 2020. So many memorable matchups and uh, probably won't this time. No, West Coast and Hollywood out in Perth, 2.35 p.m. local time, so 4.35 p.m. for viewers in Australia's Pacific states. For American audiences, 2.35 a.m. Eastern, Saturday the 3rd. 11.35 p.m. Pacific, Friday the 2nd, so my birthday will end on a very sour note as Collingwood gets out to a six-goal-to-none lead. The Eagles have played some respectable first quarters. My hope is that I don't need to watch anything of this game because games at that time in the afternoon in Perth have, like, awful shadows 
At least that was the case a couple weeks ago, and I don't think the position of the sun changes enough in a couple weeks for it to salvage things. So hopefully this is just kind of a snooze fest and I can gear up for the later games. Uh, Eagles, you know, they're one in ten. They're in eighteenth. Collingwood's ten and one. They're in first. But hey, the Eagles beat Collingwood last year. Maybe it's Collingwood that should say that they hate going to Marvel, considering they lost to the Eagles there in 2022. They got beaten after the siren there by Zach Bailey in 2021. I mean, yeah, they did win there this past week, but they lost Steel Sidebottom in his 300th game to a medium-term MCL injury. Just thinking back to this matchup last year, though, I was watching this in Berkeley, and I just couldn't believe that the Eagles were actually winning a damn game, let alone against Collingwood. They kicked 14-3 in that one, which, I mean, that's what won of the game, their accuracy. No one kicked more than three goals for the Eagles in that game, but uh, Junior Rioli and Josh Kennedy kicked three. And the Eagles are gaining back some pieces soon. I mean, Don Sheets expected to be able to continue playing, had a late knock to his ankle, but Luke Shuey's expected to return in round 13. So him being in along with Sheed and Elliot Yo. They'll look more like the Eagles, even though the Eagles suck. I mean, assuming, of course, Elliot Yo doesn't get hurt between now and then, which sadly you just you can't rule out. I was born with glass bones and paper skin. They do need to replace Luke Edwards, who was concussed. Greg Clark could come straight in. I'm a big Greg Clark fan. I like how he how he's willing to attack the ball. And then Zane True and Callum Jameson each had a goal and positive impact overall in the waffle. I don't know which one of them would actually be more likely to come in because maybe you do want a bit more ruck support against Darcy Cameron and Mason Cox, who has done some very good things against the Eagles in the past. Thinking back to that uh, 2020 elimination final, I remember Mason had a big game in that one. I believe it was three goals. He talked about that during that 100th episode. Um, apparently, just like some of the requirements for Collingwood to get into Western Australia and like their sleeping situation and stuff was a disaster. And they basically just like framed this game as like, fuck you. We want to beat the West Australian government. And they did. And that makes me happy because I thought the Western Australian government was batshit insane. Oh, yeah, they are. Yeah, that was a in that one point pies win. Cox was a co-leader with three goals, along with Brody Majacek and hey, Josh Kennedy for the Eagles. I miss him a lot. Collingwood mentioned Sidebottom. He's out six to eight weeks. Jamie Elliott's been ruled out with a shoulder injury. Darcy Moore missed training Tuesday with an illness. Like, I know you want your captain in there, but they can survive without if they had to for this game. Uh, Billy Frampton could be back from a groin injury this week. So, you know, if Moore goes out, you can just slot Frampton in there. It would also probably just mean a lot of intercept opportunities for Isaac Quainer. Uh, Pat Lipinski and Dan McStay could both be back next week. McStay has a finger injury, and Lipinski has been dealing with his shoulder. Yeah, Lipinski's yet to play this year. McStay, I believe it's a, a tendon issue in his finger, and you were surprised at how long-term that ended up being. Yeah, it's the sort of thing that, like, you know, you don't think of as you know, some sort of serious long-term injury. Uh, they have announced already that Late 2021 draft pick Harvey Harrison will be debuting this week. Or really, he announced it. If you see the video on their page, they were reading out announcements and there was a late one that came in. Justin Lepich said, and he 
You let Harvey Harrison say that Harvey Harrison's debuting. He's been an emergency these past few weeks. I've been waiting for the elevation to happen. And with Jamie Elliott ruled out, it makes sense. It probably doesn't help Josh Carmichael's prospects of getting in. No, it doesn't. Or Trent Bianco or Finn McRae, who are more midfielders and, and have put up good showings in the reserves. It's just a very crowded list for the Pies. And some players are going to be forced to make some difficult decisions. These younger guys... If some of them are from out of state or from down the highway, who knows? We'll see how many of them might want to move and what the Pies could recoup for them. Collingwood are favored by 57 and a half, and they will win by more than that. I don't know, maybe you know the Eagles come out fired up and Collingwood come out a little flat and this game stays a little closer. I mean, I don't expect much beyond, at best, the midpoint of the third quarter to be interesting, but maybe this one stays watchable for a little while would be nice. I'd appreciate that. I mean, I can I can dream here. I can dream, Harold! We're going to take a break, not only because we're around the midpoint of this episode, but also because Brian is making noises outside Ethan's room and has been pounding on the door, so he wants in, so he'll join us for the second half of the episode. Back soon. Hello again, a reminder that you can follow us on Twitter and YouTube at Americans Footy. Twitter is where we post all our live reactions and just various other footy thoughts. Got some input on recent tribunal and midseason draft decisions. I'm on Twitter at Castle Media. Brian Harambe is sitting in the window. He is available on Instagram at cat named Brian. And I'm on Twitter at BenjaminHK01. Though right now I've just got David Zeta's Twitter feed up, just waiting for that next tweet to say that the tribunal is still deliberating. This could be the new running gag along with the pies are still a chance. He should just like post it every couple minutes. I feel like he'd be tagged as a bot and given a suspension. I don't want that. Zeta does good work. So we've got four more games to discuss this round. Unfortunately, the best two games are at the same time, just about, well, five minutes apart. Yeah, the good news is this is our last overlap until round 16. The bad news is like by far the two most compelling games of this round. Yeah, on at the same time. At least I think they're the two most compelling. I think most people would. I mean, maybe in some people would say Melbourne and Carlton is above one of these, but no, nah, I don't think so. I mean, is watching Carlton compelling? In a cosmic sort of way, yes. But the first of these games to bounce at 725 local is the Bulldogs hosting Geelong at Marvel Stadium. So that's 525 a.m. Eastern, 225 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports 2 for Americans. And uh, it's another case where it's a midfield against no midfield. Yeah, and the 7-4 Western Bulldogs who are in 6, they just had their winning streak snapped at 5 games up in Darwin, taking on the 5-6 and six Cats who are in 10th after a loss to the Giants. So the Cats have gone 3 losses, 5 wins, 3 losses. I thought, what if they kept doing that the rest of the year, but they would only win, like, one final going by that pattern, so let's not do that. No, I I think it's going to be four losses, if not five or six. I think this is going to be a tough one, though. They have won the last four meetings against the Dogs, including both last year. Round 20 took care of them by 28 points. Pretty comfortable performance, but the one that was, a, I think, one of the most, like, inspiring wins of the year, other than the round three win over Collingwood was the round 12 win against the Dogs. And I, I mean, I guess, you know, the win over Richmond takes the cake. But this one, I, I think those you remembered more. There was greater inspiration in this one because, I mean, Richmond, it was Tom Stewart injuring somebody against the Dogs. It was 
Tom Stewart getting injured. He got concussed. And Sam, the first half, I think it was. I believe so. Yeah. Sam DeConan said, all right, I'll take care of it. And Graham Myers played a more defensive heavy role and did a great job of it. Yeah, it's not a role we've seen from him since, but that was like a super inspiring win. The amount of guys who stepped up and did their part to replace one of the best defenders, if not the best defender in the entire sport. Last year, you could make a case that he was. I think you could still make a case now, even if the current Golden Fist votes aren't overwhelmingly in his favor. He's, he's, I think he's second there behind Nick Dacos, who's a totally different type of player. But yeah, you know, that they held on and won that game without him going into the bye was enormous. And a similar performance going into the bye in this game, ideally with Stewart's brain not getting turned into oatmeal would be great. Just the concern is one team has no midfield. The other has Marcus Bonimpelli and Tom Libertore and, and Bailey Smith. And Jack McRae. And they'll be getting Adam Trelore back in all likelihood from his hamstring injury. So Which is great for my fantasy team. Yeah. Not great for Geelong. Yeah, your fantasy team benefits your, uh, the team for which you're a member certainly does not. Sam Darcy and Rourke Smith are set to return as well. Darcy had a hole in his long end. Rourke has yet to play this year because of a foot injury. I don't know if either of them is going to be playing up, though. I mean, you could have Darcy in for some defensive coverage. But I think they figured out their forward mix, and Rory Long has been able to slide back in defense as well. Obviously, Darcy will get the time soon, but I wouldn't be shocked if they try to ramp him up in the reserves first. Speaking of those reserves, they also lost to the Suns last week out in Darwin. I love that they had a curtain razor up there too. And I mean, most people lose to the uh, VFL Suns, so nothing to be too ashamed of there. Yeah, but uh, Latham Vandermeer has been a pretty versatile player. He played well after he was moved to defense. Hayden Crozier was active there as well. Josh Bruce played, so maybe that was a case of ramping him up to have an AFL return. He hasn't played since the Gather round. when he suffered, I believe, multiple broken ribs. Former cricketer Alex Keith is down there as well. And in terms of the midfield and forwards, Riley West has been keeping form. Another one of those father-son players for the dogs, so the list pressure remains, and that's always a good thing. It's going to be tough to crack that midfield half-forward rank, though, for a while. On the cat side, we have actually good injury news until someone gets hurt at training. Uh, Jack Bowes and Gary Rowan are both ready to return this week. Bowes, calf injury, Rowan, hamstring. We thought Rowan might have been available ahead of last week, but he's now likely to come in, I would say. Patrick Dangerfield, I think he's somewhere around questionable. I'd probably put the odds of him playing at less than 50% based off what I've read, but I was thinking 40%, but I mean, obviously the useful piece to have against the dogs for so many reasons with the power that he has in center clearances in particular, and just with how bad the midfield's been in his absence. Without him, if he does stay out, I, I expect him to be out until after the bye. I think his Myers is going to need to be doing even more of that center clearance work haven't seen as much of that from him this year, but he's capable. And he's always been a pretty good handball. I remember one of the first things you noticed about him, other than his unique kicking style of dreads, was his handball accuracy. Yeah, and this year, I, I love how many people have caught on to the fact that he's just been like insanely good in the with finding targets in the forward 50, and hopefully those targets go back to actually, you know, converting some of those into goals. That would be that would be sweet. Jeremy Cameron hasn't had that real bounce back game yet. He kicked 2-3 last week. I'm done projecting it. It'll happen at some point. I don't know when. 
I would love for him to return to his first couple round form and the rest of the team return to their rounds four through eight form. That would be sweet. I bet you'd probably like for Tim O'Brien to stay in then and for Jeremy to be his dad. Yeah, he was awful last week. He could not handle Jack Lacocious at all. And if he can't handle Vinda, good luck against Jezza. Having said that, I see the Bulldogs winning this game in the midfield. It's a pretty easy tip for me. And the Bulldogs are currently favored by the odds makers by seven and a half. I would expect them to win, but I kind of a lot of Dogs fans seem a little pessimistic about this game. I think just because the Cavs have had good results against them recently, it's just I think the way to win this game is through out coaching them. Well, Chris Scott certainly didn't do that last week. Maybe he's learned from his mistakes. Last week's game plan was a disaster, as I've said. Also, Tim English will body John Segler. I really hope, I I know it's unlikely, but just fucking play Blitzovs and Deconing in that spot and accept that you're not going to get any hitouts and try to just get the clearance out of it. Yeah, good luck. You know, Segler's not going to give you many hitouts to advantage anyway. So why, why bother having a mid? Serious question. What does it accomplish? These teams also play final round of the season at Geelong, which I don't think is going to be a dead rubber, unlike the Cats final game last year, which was awesome. Yeah, that was a beat down at the Eagles, I recall. Um, what does John Segler provide? Another player that the Bulldogs don't have to worry about. There is heavy correlation between Blitzovs going into the ruck later on in the game and the Cats playing better. I love the meme. Um... I forget which shit post page it was on Instagram. And I know I've just been like ripping on Segler these last three weeks. I, I know, but he's been so bad. Um, yeah, maybe it was just from the Geelong memes page. Yeah, I think it was. It was, aha. Was it him in a free in yeah. a real jumper? No, this one was whoever preyed on my downfall. You won. That's good. So yeah, that that other game as the dogs and cats are happening, I'll have that on FS2 on my TV, but I will be glued to my computer screen as the Suns and Crows do battle in Darwin. I'm not sure if the crowd will be as good or at least as animated as it was last round for the dogs being there because the Bulldogs have maintained a pretty strong fan base there from the games they hosted in Darwin through 2013. But this could be just as good a matchup. And, you know, obviously there's some heat going into this one. It's Isaac Rankin's first game against the Suns. I imagine he won't really get booed, though. I don't know. I hope just there's a lot of drama and a lot of shit talking, even though, like, this trade seems like a win-win so far. I expect Nick Holman to try to get into it with Rankin. Holman's the right guy to do it just because he's kind of that agitator. I like how he plays, but also he's, like, the only son that I could see willing to take somebody on, unless, like, I don't know, unless Matt Rowell tries to do something, but I can't see that. Nah, Rowell seems way too cool. Unless... I don't know. I feel like to agitate Rowell, you'd have to tell him you only want like, you know, I don't know. You only own 51 Sharon's or somebody else needs to eat the patch of grass that he wanted to eat before the game. I love that it's become a thing and it's kind of like spread league wide. I feel like that's one of those things, you know, if you make the we didn't bounce the Sharon at the end of the season again. That's got to be included. If I do, then I imagine so. We didn't bounce the Sharon. So this will bounce at 7 sharp in Darwin because they're on Australian Central Standard Time. So 7 p.m. as well for South Australian viewers, 7.30 p.m. for viewers on the Gold Coast and elsewhere in the Eastern Australian states. For Americans, 5.30 a.m. Eastern, 2.30 a.m. Pacific. I am so sad that this is a Fox Soccer Plus game. I mean, I get the dogs and cats is easily the more 
compelling game on paper at the start of the year and when these schedules are being made. But also, you know, this means that neither of the Darwin games are on US TV. And I think just the venue and seeing all the indigenous fans there. And I mean, even though it's not part of the Sir Doug Nichols round anymore, there's something really special about these games in Darwin. And I wish more Americans were exposed to that. Here's the thing. I feel like it's not what you want to like show someone for their first taste of footy. I feel like first taste, you know, you want to see the MCG or Adelaide Oval or, or um, Perth, maybe. I don't know. Optus, you know, one of the big stadiums packed to the gills. But like once you get a little bit into the sport, Exactly. It's like a perfect mid-season thing for a new viewer. Like, I remember, I mean, we were super entertained by it the first couple times, and we still are. And if it's like someone's very first viewing experience, big crowd, big stadium is good. But man, our first viewing experience was no crowd, big stadium. It was still fascinating. But um, if, if we're trying to get someone in, I think that's that's the way to do it. These teams are five places apart, but only one game apart on the ladder. The Crows are in seventh, six and five after defeating the Brisbane Lions. Really impressive performance by their back lines to be able to do that. Something the Suns do not know how to do. I mean, defeat the Lions, that is. Yeah. Or or the entire back line playing well. No, the back lines played well at times. I think it actually played really well after the first quarter last week. I would say so, as they defeated the Bulldogs to move up to five and six themselves, but they remain in 12th. They have lowest percent out of the teams there at five and six at 97.2. Injury-wise, Gold Coast probably won't be getting anyone back this week, but they've already got a pretty full list as is. Uh, Connor Butterick, Sean Lemons and Lockie Weller could all be back after the bye, although Lemons played so poorly his last time out that I don't think they're missing that much. And when you're talking about a full list, it's to the point that you've got a really stacked VFL side because of it. And Sam Day kicked four goals in that curtain raiser. Brandon Ellis kicked two on a team with, with you know, a less crowded list. I would say bring Bodie Uland in right away. And with the defensive ranks being a little bit thinner, I would still say to put him in, although... I like Joel Jeffrey being in, and I want to see more of him at halfback to be able to evaluate him more. Also, keep him in when he's back home in the Northern Territory. That's obvious. I'm hoping both he and Mal Rosas have more complete games this round. On the Crows' side, Rory Laird's suspension for his supposed dangerous tackle on Lockie Neal that wasn't dangerous at all did correctly get overturned. I felt really good about it once Adam Chera's got overturned, and I was right. Wait a minute, though. Does does the tribunal know that Rory Laird doesn't play for Carlton? Did did they fuck up? No, I I, I think they know, considering how much time they spend on each of these. Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous how long some of these deliberations take, but Laird didn't put Neil into the ground hard. It was a rotating tackle, yes, but the arms were free, and it wasn't a super fast tackle. He made an effort to slow it down. He knew what he was doing, and the tribunal correctly saw that. So I was very happy about this decision as are a whole lot of fantasy players, especially classic players. I mean, in my draft league, I think it's it's great. I Especially with, you know, buys and stuff this round, it's, it's pretty clutch. Yeah, you had the very first pick, I believe. Yeah, and Laird was that first pick. My first pick was... I had the pick right after. I think I picked Andrew Brayshaw first. Uh, Mitch Hinge and Brody Smith should both be available. They missed last week concussed. Then McHenry was a late in, and they could take him out, although I liked how he played. Got a pretty important goal. He's been a sub a few times as well, so maybe they could have him in for that late spark. You'll need that energy on a longer ground like TIO Stadium. I feel really bad 
if Josh Worrell would be left out as well. He was the one subbed out, but had a pretty solid game in his first outing of the year. I'm hoping it was more being managed as he was still being ramped up a little bit from injury. He and Max Michelini will be important parts of this Adelaide back line for their next generation. Uh, from the sandfall, some midfielders have been playing well that can kind of force the issue. It's a lot of the same names. It, it, it's these same names. Although, there are a couple of new additions. Let's, you know, we've talked about Sam Barry, some talking about Matt Crouch every week, Jackson Hatley every week, but uh, Harry Schoenberg starting to play better. Would love to see him and just... You like him because he doesn't look like an AFL player. He looks like someone who should be playing in Origin. Yeah, which is starting right now. Uh, and speaking of Origin, that's uh, at the Adelaide Oval. So I'll be interested in how quickly the curators can turn that around. I mean, the Adelaide Oval grounds crew is renowned, but we probably should have talked about that during the Port Hawthorne preview, but we kind of forgot. Yeah, oh, but... Well, it's not, not significant enough. I mean, um, if if you see that late oval looking not as pristine this week, though, you'll know why. I just learned that the Maroons have a player named Tino Faasua Malayawi. Ooh, good pronunciation. Well, Polynesian names are generally easy because you just sound them out, like Hamiso Tabuai Fido. Or in the world of American football, Tevita Tuliakiono Mosese Vahai Fahoko Talvea. The Fahoko, you know, he's related to recent Dallas Cowboys draft pick Junior Fahoko, or Viliami Fahoko. Yeah. Vea, though, you know, people would probably know him because of how well he's played with the Bucks. He's from the very southern end of the Bay Area, kind of where the South Bay meets the East Bay in Milpitas near San Jose. Not not far from where the 49ers play. Um, it was really cool, totally off topic, but it was really cool seeing how, you know, this year in the NFL draft was like really the first time I'm starting to see guys get drafted that I got to watch in high school. Yeah, guys, guys that you've covered. And I mean, we're going to see more of that next year. We could have a top 10 pick that you've covered. That would be so cool. But um, that's that's a little off topic. What is on topic is that Gold Coast is favored by two and a half. And these teams play again round 21 with the Adelaide Oval. This is a real toss up for me. I mean, we saw last week how well Gold Coast midfield was able to play over the long oval. Clearly, they're able to manage things well and just put in the full game effort there. They battle through the heat for it as well. When I was talking with uh, Coach Donnie Hess on the recent episode of Donnie's Disposal, which I think was uploaded just yesterday now, um, he mentioned now he was tipping the Crows because of the difficulty for the Suns in kind of turning around from those conditions and playing in them again. It's going to be around 80 degrees Fahrenheit in the high 20s Celsius at bounce again. If this game was at Adelaide. This would be such an easy pick, but it ain't. Kind of part of the intrigue here, and one of the reasons I'm so annoyed that this is at the same time as the Cats game. You're going to go back and watch this as a full replay, I guarantee it. I may very well. I may do that, like, trying to think of how I could, like, download it all and then watch it on an airplane, how I could possibly manage that. Uh, you can do that on the phone. Ooh, tempting. Only two games on Sunday, and they're separated by three and a half hours. So, uh, I guess no seven broadcast. Seven usually has that 3.20 p.m. Eastern slot, which Collingwood and North were in last week. So, uh, yeah, they don't have one. The only broadcasts on seven this week are Melbourne Carlton and Dogs Cats. Interesting. Uh, to kick off Sunday, we've got a game that it's a matchup that's lent itself to some interesting games in the last few years. And it's one that I didn't think would be much of a toss-up at the start of this season. But 
with the way GWS have impressed and the way Richmond have struggled, there's actually a lot to this one. So this is at Giant Stadium. It'll start at 8.10 p.m. our time on Saturday, 11.10 on the East Coast of the United States, and 1 p.m. locally in Sydney. And it'll be starting at 3.10 a.m. in lovely Sao Tome. What about Principe? Also 3.10, yeah. Probably also 3.10. So are they on the same time zone then as Iceland? Uh, GMT minus one? Oh, no, because of daylight saving time and stuff, it's just GMT evenly. Ah, okay. Because London is... Plus one right now. Plus one right now. On standard time, that is. I mean, does that is the same time as Iceland, actually. So good good catch. Bang. This will be a Fox Soccer Plus game. Giants come in at four and seven. They're in 14th after they've been the only team that can consistently win at Geelong. Tigers, three, seven, and one. They are in 15th after a loss to Port Adelaide, where outside of the first quarter, they played pretty well, but only mounted a real challenge like once. And the only reason they were able to stay close was because Tim Taranto was him Taranto. And oh yeah, he'll be playing back at the showground for the first time. Unfortunate that Jacob Hopper will miss this to injury, but uh, Taranto being back, this should be fun. I could see him and Tom Green getting into it in the midfield. Last year, these teams met in round two, a 36-point Tiger win at the MCG, where Toby Nankervis had what should have been a goal of the year nominee and wasn't. Yeah, this was one where he tapped it to himself. I mean, we love those sorts of goals. We still think that Eddie Betts should have won the 2021 goal of the year for one of those goals like it. And I mean, at this point, I almost want to send Nankervis a medal for just all the awesome plays he made last year. I also want to mention of the two meetings between these teams in 2021, one of them really stands out, and that was the Tigers four-point win at Marvel Stadium in round nine, because that's that's their last time winning a game by six points or less. A hype plan there. Maybe they should play there more. Who knows? GWS should have Harry Himmelberg back from his concussion. However, Nick Haynes will remain in protocol. He had some sort of infection that prevented him from the Minimum amount of training days required to exit protocol, so he'll remain out. Richmond's tall forward situation is a little interesting because, I mean, Jack Revolt is still getting up there in age. He could get managed at any time. And then, I mean, I guess this, this could be a better chance for Samson Ryan and Ben Miller there. Miller has taken more of a defensive role out of the ruck, so I'd like to see Samson Ryan do a bit better for himself this week, even though I've dropped him from my fantasy squad. Richmond, both Nick Vlaston and Morris Rioli Jr. are I guess we'd consider it questionable. Uh, according to Sarah Black, Hugo, Ralph Smith, or Tyler Young could come out for Vlaustone, and then you could demote Jumpson Clark or manage Jack Revolt. Like, Jack, I feel like in the notes every single week, it's like they can always manage Revolt, and they haven't, but it's like always an option just because he's kind of old. This is probably his last season, but Clark hasn't been very consistent and has often been the sub. So if they wanted to get more game time, there's two ways about it. They could manage Revolt to ensure Clark gets that full time, or they can send him back to the reserves for a bit. I, again, really look forward to the midfield game in this one with the Giants trying to kind of bring back the tsunami and Tom Breen being so strong at stoppages going up against. I mean, I, I can see him putting some big tackles on Taranto as Tim's trying to get out at half forward. And Dion Prestia could probably wiggle his way through just about anything, but this is going to be a tough challenge for Richmond's midfield, I think. And I like the Giants in the game in this game because of that. They're favored as of now by three and a half. How are you tipping this one at the moment? Uh, this this is really a toss up. By the way, I love Adam Kingsley against Richmond. I'm 
Oh, yeah. I picked Richmond for this one just because I didn't want to take, like, all the favorites for the week. I also took the Suns as of now, but that game is really a toss-up as well. I forget if I've taken the Suns or Crows for the moment. I don't know. I'm still going back and forth on that one. And I think I'm more set on GWS for this, but I wouldn't be surprised either way. My tips have been awful lately. I mean, everybody's probably were last round. I think it said that only 10 people went 9 for 9. I think 20 or 21 on ESPN did. On the AFL tipping, I think it was 10. Final game of the round is one that on paper, not very sexy. I mean, especially when one of the teams has an eight-game head-to-head winning streak, that being Essendon over North. That said, North, you know, the last couple of weeks, they showed some fight. Last week, it wasn't until they got down really big, but there was something there. I liked how Eddie Ford played, as I had mentioned. It was his second game in for the year end was a good kick at, you know, setting up a couple good opportunities. Hugh Greenwood has been awesome lately. He was a fantasy pickup for you. Yeah, he is a new member of Drafting on the Dunny. Just want to welcome him. Yes, Ethan did make his first draft pick on the Dunny. I forget if it was my first or second. I think he's that first. I don't know. I believe you mentioned it was Laird. Because I remember it happening. I remember being at the hotel in Arizona when this all went down. Oh yeah, you were at spring training. Yes. So this one is... Your final game, you know, leads into bounce. 11.40 p.m. Pacific time for us Saturday night. 2.40 a.m. Eastern time Sunday. And then local time 4.40. This will be a Fox Sports 2 broadcast. Essendon come in at 6-5 and five in 8th after gaining some percent against the Eagles, though. They could have put on more hurt than just a 50-point win. North are in 17th at 2-9 and nine after losing in Collingwood. They played their best in the 4th. I like that North were so willing to Finish the game strongly, though. That's a good sign. All right, let's get down to the confusing part right away. Liam Shields is likely to play, and Dylan Shield could return from a foot injury. The broadcasters have already had a hard time saying their names this year. I I mean, I thought I heard people saying Shields on some Essendon broadcasts, and I don't know, this, this is not going to be a fun broadcast if it is that way. I know it's a baseball trophy, but whoever wins between those two should get the Claxton Shield. Yeah, that's that, I think that's the AVL championship trophy. It, is. it used to be for just like some other baseball thingy and then for like an interstate competition. Yeah, I think like like uh, like the Sheffield Shield is for cricket. Yeah, and then they brought it into the ABL, which it's currently held by the Adelaide Bite, who defeated the Perth Heat, which is good because that means Josh Reddick was sad. Yeah, that dude's kind of a tool. Uh, as for list stuff for this game, Andrew Phillips was managed last week, but... Nick Bryan was quiet and then got subbed out. Uh, Peter Wright's still two to four weeks away, so that was obviously a very serious shoulder injury. I'd love to see Massimo D'Ambrosio actually in the 22. I say that every week. I'm going to say it again. He was subbed in this past week after Bryan just didn't have it in him against, I guess, Bailey J. Williams. That still surprised me. Again, Bailey J's improved a lot in my eyes, and I, but I still didn't think much of Bryan after a quiet showing of the Rucks, so... I imagine Phillips will come back in to help out against Todd Goldstein. And then in the reserves, Nick Cox made his return from an ankle injury at last. But the more interesting defensive showing, I think, was from Rhett Montgomery, who was pretty active. I think he cracked 10 marks. Patrick Voss has been a name that we've seen a lot in the forward conversation. So they'll make debuts at some point. They were rookie elevations last year. It's a matter of when, I guess. I mean, I mean if, if Shield remains out, maybe there's an opportunity there. Maybe, though, with Peter Wright coming back soon, the debut window could be closing. Harry Jones being out for the year with a back injury 
probably helps their cause a bit. I'm really sad about that one. I had pegged this as being a real breakout year for Harry, and he was never consistent in front of goal. Should be nice for Ben Mackay after playing Friday night. You know, he won't have to travel, play at the G on Friday as Harry, play at Marvel on Sunday as Ben. You know, my belief is still that it's just one guy named Barry. Until we see Harry and Ben on an AFL Oval together, I will not be convinced. I see photos of them together, but I think that's a deep fake. I mean, deep fake technology has gotten better and better. Will you even be convinced if they play against each other? Yes. If they're actually both on the field at the same time, I will be convinced. If you see them like pushing each other around before the first bounce and then laughing. They don't even have to. They just have to both physically be on the field in the same shot. I think they would end up playing against each other, though. For the shits and giggles, once it actually finally happens. Looking at other injury returns for North other than Liam Shields, a whole lot of people came back last week in the reserves. Jackson Archer, Flynn Perez, Lockie Young, and also Darcy Tucker, who was really strong on his return from a hamstring injury, so he could come back in for a bit of running support there. Kane Turner had four goals, and it would be nice for them to have an another consistent target other than Larky, although, I mean, Maybe a combination of Jaden Stevenson and Kane Turner being in. You think, all right, one of them's got to be on this week. That's something I'd like to see over the rest of the season is just somebody else stepping up as a big goal-kicking option besides Larky. Because really, who's done it past him for these guys in... I don't even know how long. Yeah, I mean, I'm hoping that it could be Stevenson. Played well in his 100th game last week, had a couple goals. But it's tough for him to have two or three good outings in a row. And Luke Davies-Uniak is still a week or two out from returning from his shoulder injury. So that's by far the most significant one. But I think over the last couple of weeks, just like the thing that we've been pleased with with North are Hugh Greenwood being good, which again may have something to do with Davies-Uniak's absence, but I've really liked his game. And then Eddie Ford. So well, you know, there, there have been pieces, Hugh Greenwood and Bailey Scott as well. Both of them have taken up the mantle a little bit of getting those numbers in the midfield. Greenwood has been very active in clearances lately, helping set up Jai Simkin off of those bounces. So between Greenwood and Scott, we've learned a good deal more about the North midfield as of late, and it's been positive. Still, obviously, you know, Davies Uniac is the most significant one by by far. Essendon favored by 32 and a half. Seems appropriate. Maybe push that out a little more, but this seems like another one of those where it's the average likely outcome. Yeah, and it's something that, you know, whether it's that they pull away late or that they let their foot off the gas late, I feel like something in that 30-ish margin. Maybe I'd put it out by like another four points or so. Nothing too crazy, though. These clubs will be rematching with North technically hosting, also at Marvel Stadium in round 22. So out of the seven games this round, we'll have four rematches. One in round 21, that being Adelaide and Gold Coast. A couple in round 22, Essendon North and also Carlton Melbourne. And then Geelong host of the Dogs, round 24. Seems pretty late for us to still have that many rematches. Before we make our main character picks, just want to give a little bit of an update on some things that have happened as we've recorded. Dane Zorko's suspension for conduct around the eye of Luke Pedlar has been upheld. Not surprised. I think that's the right decision. Selfishly wanted him not suspended for fantasy purposes, but I get it. The explanation given by the tribunal basically says it was a gouging attempt. Whatever he was trying to do, it, there was enough deliberate intent and to do it in that area. He was he was up to no good. One game seems kind of lucky because of that. So Jager Amir is going to be from the tribunal as well. This is a dangerous tackle ban that I doubt will be overturned. 
But the midseason draft has come and gone. And as I mentioned earlier, the Eagles did take forward Ryan Merrick from Box Hill and the Gippsland Power. Really easy first selection to make. Geelong did not take a ruck. No, I thought they were going to go with Sam Nysmith. Instead, they went for Mitch Hardy out of the Sandful, who they seemed like a kind of like defensive midfielder. And considering that none of the defensive midfielders have been able to win the ball, he seems like a pretty active tackler. This can help a lot. So worth a shot. He's 25, has been averaging nearly 26 disposals this year for the Eagles in the Sandful. My hope is if they're dead set on taking a guy that's not at such a glaring position of immediate need. I mean, it's a position of need, but not to that extent. Uh, they must think he's really good, and I trust their talent evaluation. So hopefully he finds a way to slot in. The most important thing to me is last year, I noticed the midseason draft picks, like their player photos were so different from everyone else's on the roster, and I hope that continues. I hope they're like even sillier and more out of place. Like we saw it for the the guy that, had just been signed by the Bulldogs. Yeah, that one wasn't as bad as some some of those were last year. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about um, O'Donnell. Yes, James O'Donnell. Thank you. But it was really funny, and I'm totally in support of it. I wanted to look like you know the kid who got inserted into the class photo, even though they weren't they weren't there on picture day. Just like a really lazy Photoshop. Yes, the worse the better. A couple players have gotten the second AFL lifeline through the midseason draft. Caleb Poulter played 12 games for Collingwood over the past two years, and the Dogs have elevated him from their VFL list by picking him in the midseason draft. Seems like he was pretty well liked by the Collingwood fans, and the couple with whom we interact a lot online say that delisting him was one of the only questionable decisions they thought they'd made as of late. And then a pick later, Port Adelaide had a pick because of Mitch Georgiatis's injury, and they took Sparkle, Quentin Narkle. Super happy for Narkle. Always thought he could have been a better player than he was at Geelong. Gifted goal scorer, just like, to call him a non-defender during his time with the Caps wouldn't even begin to describe it. And I hope he's improved in that area because there's a lot of talent and he's a fun player to watch. And if he's figured out how to be even, you know, a bit below average defensively, he's going to be a hell of a player. I guess this reunites him with his second cousin, Sam Powell Pepper. Oh, awesome. I wasn't even thinking of that. That's great. All right. Uh, time to predict our main characters. Benjamin, I'll give you the generosity of going first. I think Tom Green has had main character potential for a while. And matching up against Tim Taranto, I think that potential is even further elevated. I think he's going to have a really big game. I think he's going to help the Giants win. And he'll make sure Tim knows about it. I'm going way out of the box this time. No, you're not. Yes, I am. One of the floggers is going to break. Like, it's going to fall off of the stick and just, like, sit there on the field looking sad. And someone's going to be left just holding a big stick with nothing at the end of it. And it's going to look really funny. That's my main character pick. Really? I thought you were going to go Isaac Rankin. Nope. Too easy. Man, I was leaving Rankin for you to see if you'd take it. All right. Um... Well, that'll do it for the round 12 preview. Hopefully you've enjoyed the quantity of episodes we've been putting out lately. And, you know, they're shorter, which probably makes it a bit easier to digest in one sitting. So hopefully that's the case for some of y'all. Remember, you can find us on Twitter and YouTube at Americans Footy. I am at BenjaminHK01 on Twitter. 
I am at Castle Media with a K. Keep reminding you that Brian Harambe is sleeping right next to me. He is on Instagram at cat named Brian, and he's currently using some envelopes and mail as kind of a pillow. A little bit. Yeah. That's... I'm not going to disturb him much. He looks like he's having a good time. Yeah, all right. I'm going to get to editing. 